0: Welcome to Of Dust and Divinity, a place where we ask big questions of small things as we gather around the table with makers, thinkers, and doers. So grab your favorite drink, pull up a chair, and join us. And now, here are your hosts, Cabin Kramer and Chris Gwant.
1: There we go. We're recording now. We're recording.
2: We're here. We've been here, but now we're here.
1: Now we're here. We're here again, and uh,
2: for an all brand new here, we're now here.
1: <laughs> here is here. Uh, we should have maybe recorded a little bit earlier because I, I was saying that I love, you know, in pre COVID times, even in our imaginations, we have to sit six feet apart. Now, uh, the idea of sitting at the the table in the back of the pub just having a conversation, Caven. Yeah. So I always I always approach it with that, and I love that. And one of the things that, of course, we got to start with is what are you what are you drinking? Oh,
2: that's a great question today. I'll hold it up for our, our YouTube viewers. Yeah. Um, actually YouTube might take this down. What if we get like shadow banned by the algorithm for like promoting alcohol? This could be a problem.
1: Oh, there's only one way to find out.
2: We're, we're going to find out. So (laughs) this is, this here is a, it's a Dalwini 15 year. It's a scotch and it's, I love it. It's fantastic. Um, Used to be a lot cheaper than it is now, but it was always one that I'd recommend to kind of newbie Scotch drinkers, especially if people are coming over from like bourbon or tequila or some other kind of alcohol Mm -hmm. and they're wanting to get into the world of Scotch. A lot of people, you know, they try to do like the manly man thing. Well, you got to get a Lagavulin 16 and smoke a, a burning fire log. And that's a real scotch, which Lagavulin 16 is great. I'll be drinking that one of these weeks because I've got a bottle of it sitting in my cabinet. But okay. the Dalwhinnie 15, it's a very light kind of fruity, floral uh, kind of whiskey. So it's a, it's, a good, it's a good place to start with scotches. Wait,
1: is scotch whiskey or is scotch scotch? What? How do you? What is it
2: is Merlot wine or is wine Merlot?
1: Okay. Fair point. Continue.
2: So, so whiskey is this great umbrella that includes anything distilled from grains. That's, um, use using any kind of a distiller that's from grain is considered a whiskey. I have a so, lot to learn. <laughs> no. And so do I. So do I. So, <laughs> so most American whiskey is called bourbon. Okay. Most um, and bourbon is typically it's 51%, um, corn, but then America also has what they call Tennessee whiskey. Uh, and then they also have a rye. So rye okay. is 51% rye. Um, okay. and then Scotch, uh, Scotland of course kind of started this whole tradition of distilling. And as things took off around the world, um, people were calling all kinds of things Scotch when it was made in like Spain and Kentucky and all kinds of places. Right. So, so the, the Scottish government said, well, we need to do something about that. Well, the distillery said, Hey, you can't let them steal our stuff. So they created a pact and, and then, and they locked it in. There's only 24 distilleries in the entire country of Scotland. There's only 24 distilleries in the world that can call themselves Scotch.
1: Really? Yes. Is that okay? So kind of like champagne, only true champagne comes from that area Correct. of France.
2: So scotch only comes from Scotland, and more specifically, it only comes from one of these 24 authorized labelers to call it scotch.
1: Is that the one that Ron Swanson went to in that one episode of Parks and Rec?
2: Well, that so that he went to one of the 24. Okay. I yeah. I don't remember which one he went to. Is either Bowmore or Lagavulin? He went to one of the ones that I think it was, I forget. I'd have to watch it again. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: It's been a few years. I'm tracking. But because that happened long enough ago and the world has grown the way it has, there are now hundreds and hundreds of labeled bottles in a store that will all be called scotch. So you're looking and you're like, okay, how can there be 200 to like, how can there be 200 options for scotch if there's only 24 distilleries? Right. Well, what they've done is they've created just multiple labels, right? So <laughs> what you'll find out is you'll find out that you know all thirty of these bottles are actually produced by the same distillery.
1: So that's like Coca Cola has their like water yes. brand over yeah, here, Dasani, and their yeah. other their energy drink over yep. here. Got yes. it. Yes. But that's all coming from Scotland. That's all coming from Scotland. Now, wait, you were talking about a Japanese distillery. Well, that's whiskey. Okay.
2: And I've gotten to the place where I just kind of referred to all of it as whiskey. Um, so even like the first year, the, 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 or the first episode we recorded the Balvenie 12 year that I was drinking. That's also a scotch. But I think in that episode, I didn't even mention that it was a scotch. I just called it whiskey. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why I've gotten there, but I just kind of call it all whiskey now. Maybe it's you, because I'm I don't want to like sound too highfalutin or whatever, but
1: You you're already sounding highfalutin, but it's impressive. <laughs> it's impressive. Well,
2: my, my my preference is scotch. That that's my I only have okay. two. Actually, I have three bottles of bourbon. Um and I don't have any rye right now, and I have three bottles of Japanese whiskey, and then the rest of my is
1: all scotch. Wow. So, that's impressive. I we could spend all of our time talking about this and we've got a lot to talk about today. I'm looking at the rundown, so we should probably move on. I'm just going to say that. Thanks for asking, by the way. Uh, I'm drinking. Uh... <laughs> what a jerk of a co-host doesn't even ask Come on. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> what, been, what are you? I've been, what are, I've been intentionally keeping this off camera. Off so you did.
2: I know Chris. Okay. What are you drinking? Chris, you got to teach me how to be polite socially. So what, what are you drinking? <laughs>
1: This is the most amateur, probably, I want to seem like I'm drinking whiskey or scotch. I don't know. It's Maker's Mark. Nice. Uh, So that's what this is. Yes. And uh, I had to dilute it. (laughs) No (laughs) shame. No shame. (laughs) I I was
2: like, whoa. That's okay. Like we talked on an earlier episode about gatekeepers, right? Like. Whiskey is yeah. another place where there's just so many gate. Any, oh, any place where you can have like a connoisseur opinion about something. Good point. You could be a gatekeeper, but like I'm, <laughs> I'm not. I don't play that game. Like if you like it, drink it. I don't care if yeah. it's like a Starbucks Frappuccino or just you know straight vodka. I'll drink to that.
1: It's it's pretty good. So, I actually got this as part of my my on the road drink are old fashions mm, uh, when I, I travel. Like yeah. wherever I go, I'm like, give me an old fashioned. Mm-hmm. And uh, best I've had so far is. We were South Carolina, mm. like some maple bacon, old fashioned. Mm. It was heaven in a glass. It was amazing. Nice. All right, let's let's <laughs> enough of my uh, <clears throat> on the road drinks uh, growing up. Yeah, we've got some just to kind of lead into our conversation here. You know, both you and I come from a, an evangelical background and, and we just thought we'd talk a little bit about growing up in that background, in that space. Tell me a little bit how that was for you. We've talked about this. I don't think on any episodes yet, but mm, there's got some true. kind of humorous it. things in there. But but <laughs> what,
2: what was that like for you? Yeah. Well, you know. Okay. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna derail us a little bit before we get there. Perfect. Before we even start the conversation. So George W. And you can think whatever you want to about his presidency, but it, one of his speechwriters said that he had he had a, a preferred style of speeches. Right. Mm. And here was every speech of George W's had to go follow this format. Tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you just told them.
1: Right. I love it.
2: I think it's brilliant. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff that I don't agree with, but I love that. That's awesome. Keep it
1: simple. So,
2: so here, so here's the deal, right? So the theme of the episode has got, you know, and of course, if you clicked on this, you you already know the title of it. But like the theme is like, I found God in the trees.
1: Mm. Well,
2: what the heck does that mean? Mm. So we gotta we gotta wind back to childhood to talk about like yeah. what was I taught? You you and me both, Chris. Right? We share some a lot of similarities there. We do. And then what the heck happened? And then when my story specifically, what how did that lead to me then finding God in the trees? So mm. that's kind of the the what you're gonna tell them, right? Right. So growing up evangelical, oh man, like we were we were. We were that that picture perfect family of mm. the evangelical Reaganist poster child. First to church, last to leave. I could hold six chairs under my arms by the time I was ten. Like, I mean, I was like, I was hitting every high note of what it meant to grow go. up in the Christian evangelical Awanas. Right, so I went all the way through every memory nice. book of Awanas. Okay, I'm very proud of myself that in fifth grade I was already into the sixth grade book. You know, I was one of those overachievers. As, there you you go. know, because uh, if I was going to do this Christian thing, I was going to do it better than anyone else. Mm. <laughs> it's a flaw. It's a personality flaw I still carry with me.
1: If anybody's going to win at Christianity,
2: it's going to be me,
1: Kevin Craver, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen.
2: You know, my, my wife, when, even when we were married and we were still working in ministry full time and stuff, and she would, she would always tell people who were just getting to know us that my childhood was like little house on the prairie, right? (laughs) My mom homemade every meal, hung the laundry out to dry on the clothesline. You know, we were always at church and, um, so that, that was, that was for me, you know, I didn't even think about things like, of course we're, we're recording this, um, In March, I don't quite know when it's going to be released, but this episode we're recording in March. And, you know, the tragic and really just horrific shooting in Colorado just happened. Mm -hmm. Killed 10 people in a grocery store. And I've seen some people I follow now talking about, do you remember Columbine 22 years ago? If you grew up in the evangelical church, there's a good chance that there wasn't any conversation about anything having to do with the social structures except... Would you be willing to take a bullet for Jesus? Mm-hmm. And Chris, I remember straight that. up remember that. Mm-hmm. I like I don't I don't remember being afraid of guns. I remember being afraid of someone putting a gun to my head and yeah. having to say yes. Yep. Because if I said no, I was going straight to hell. Yeah. Right? So yeah. the evangelical church that I grew up in would take these horrific social events. And just Mm -hmm. turn straight into culture wars. Yeah. Like I I couldn't tell you a single name of a victim from Columbine, but I can tell you how to do a fire drill to what to say when someone puts a gun to my head and asks if I believe in Jesus. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Right. Cause that, that's, that's what the evangelical church taught me. And I didn't know it at the time I was a kid. Yeah. Right. But so I, I grew up indoctrinated opportunity after opportunity to pivot from social calamity into culture wars weaponizing spirituality theology tragedy to build a case for the cultural relevance of the evangelical church
0: and
1: that gets deeply ingrained like especially at that age
2: so deeply so
1: that's your being
2: to the point where i didn't even think about columbine until someone else reminded me of it and i was like Oh yeah. Then it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, that's yet another example. So there's probably hundreds of others examples that I'm going to be unpacking for the rest of my
1: life. I remember that. I obviously, I mean, that alive during that time too. And, um, just a couple of years older than you, not a lot, but a couple of years older than you. But I, I remember that of thinking, I think I had just graduated high school at that time. And so thinking, you know, what if that was my high school? And it was a very, I think a very famous story where, you know, there was one of the students was asked that and put a gun to her head and she said yes. And she died. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, that's Christian hero status, right? Like she, she lived her faith out to the very last. And I was like, man, on my best day, I hope that I can do that. (laughs) Right. And how many of us have to have that honest conversation of, yeah, I think so. God forbid, you know, or we, we think about the missionaries or the the believers in China that there's just these horrific stories like they stood up for their faith. And that meant that it was the end of them. Um, and the fact that I don't want to say like fear mongering, but it's like you better. Mm-hmm. Like you said, mm-hmm. like it wasn't said like that, but it was almost implied. Like if you don't. You're what other alternative is there than hell
2: for you? Yep. So full confession time, Chris, I used to straight up pray that I would be martyred because right this, this is, I'm, I'm kind of processing this and unpacking it right now, live on the podcast, but again, so I'm, I'm an achiever. I'm an Enneagram type three. If anyone's going to do this Christian thing, it's going to be me and I'm going to win at it. Right. Because of the time that I grew up, winning at Christianity meant being persecuted and killed for your faith. It was all over. We would read through the Operation What is it World Operation World Prayer Calendar that covers a different persecuted people group every day of the year to pray for. You know, we had stuff like Columbine in my childhood. Yeah. I think I was, um, I think I was in seventh grade when Columbine happened. So really that kind of formative, pivotal time, um, all the way, all the way through college, I was like, I was literally signing up. I almost had I not been engaged. (laughs) Actually, actually, let me tell, let's, let me tell the story a little bit more detail. What kept us from doing this was that they didn't want us to have any children during this two year thing. So this is like later on in life, Jen and I were engaged. We're about to get married. We were approached by a mission organization And they were looking for people who were willing to become nomads to embed in nomadic tribes in Ethiopia and Sudan, right in that kind of border region where there's, you know, you think about like the Lost Boys of Sudan, yeah, right? That tragedy that happened, it was kind of during that time and it was right in that same zone. And this org was looking for people to embed in those nomadic tribes to move with them, not be based anywhere, but become a nomad for two years. In an effort to share the gospel, wow. and there was nothing I wanted more to do. And here I am, engaged, about to be married, right? And so the question became: Well, what if we wanted to have kids in the first two years of our marriage? And the mission org was like, No, like we're sending you into a hot zone. Mm-hmm. Like you just just wait a couple years, and that's ultimately what kept us from moving forward with it. But that's what I wanted for my life, and that like that decision. To want to become an embedded nomad with people in Ethiopia was based off of how my youth group responded to Columbine and a whole lot of other stuff, right? It was all about like, I am going to be the hero. I am going to be the one that the headlines are written about. The path to do that is to go do something crazy. Like that's Mm -hmm. what I was taught. Right? The way to please God is to like go do something crazy. Wow.
1: Wow. Meanwhile, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to leave the house. (laughs) I think I'm going to stay home. But anybody wants to talk to God, they can come to me. Those Mormon missionaries that show up every now and again. We can have a conversation. Wow. That's interesting. And to hear that connection being made right now. Well, go, go big or go home. Right.
2: Yeah. It really was for me. I, I don't. I mean, you, you know, me, Chris listeners don't maybe know me as well, but like, I, I tend
1: to go for the dramatic anyway. So that's incredible. That's incredible. And and I I think about it. One of the, I mean, it got pretty heavy there pretty quick and, and probably rightly so just because that's just the reality and the gravity of, Mm -hmm. of what it is. And, you know, it is what it is and you obviously can't go back and change the past. And and why would we want to, you know, mm-hmm. it's all part of our formation and shaping us and how we move forward. Um, more on the humorous side. I think one of the things that you and I laugh about is not being able to watch, being able to watch star Wars, <laughs> kind, of, kind of missing out on these like cultural moments because, oh, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I, I don't begrudge my parents this, you know, like, well, it's new agey and the force and you can't watch <laughs> it. And then, how handicapped you are trying to relate socially to people later on. Oh yeah. Oh when yeah. When you can't watch Star Wars as a kid, but then when you're older and your first introduction to the Star Wars universe is are the prequels.
2: <laughs> and by the time you're like a full adult, like with, Come on. Yeah. Like and yeah. I'm
1: like, I'm starting here. Like, what's the big deal with the Star Wars? Why is everybody talking about this Star Wars? This is dumb. <laughs> so yeah, I think you and I were both denied that. It was it was Disney movies for me. Yeah. Yeah. All the way through. Which, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yep. I could I it. could quote you the Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. Those were my- <laughs> well, and and for me it was
2: well. See, I thought you were saying Disney movies, as in you weren't allowed because. Oh no, that I, was literally, I really, we were allowed. Okay, so so we were allowed to see Lion King when it came out in 1995 because okay. that's the year that we moved to Kenya, so since oh. it was like relevant, right? Like, what were my parents thinking? But we were allowed to watch it. But I grew up on like the old stuff. So first of all, there was one place to rent movies within like eight miles of our house growing up. Cause we grew up out in the country and they offered a deal. You could buy, you could rent five movies for five nights for $5, right? VHS, Ooh. right? This oh, is, yeah. this is my childhood. So once a month and I have two sisters and two parents. So there were five of us in the family. So once a month we would go to the video rental place and we would each get to pick out a movie to rent. Now, of course, it was highly monitored, like, what we could pick. Oh, and sure. then we would watch one movie a night for a week. And that was all the screen time we got for the whole month. Wow. So I grew up on stuff like Mary Poppins, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Sound of Music. Get me started on um, Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> like, all... Like, I thought watching musicals was a very normal thing until I got married to my beloved wife who has never seen any of these. And I'm like singing away and she's just looking at me
1: like I'm a crazy person. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's so fantastic. I, I think now and and parents out there, I, I say, give yourself some grace, especially if you're inconsistent, because I start thinking about the inconsistencies of my parents where mm-hmm. <laughs> like you were even I thought I grew up strict. And I think that was even more strict than me, because like our movie watching was very relegated. But then I'm watching Saturday morning, like the Smurfs and gummy like full-on witchcraft if you want to talk about you know going like that way if if, if you want to talk about like the stigma of, of around that I, I never i never saw that as a kid i'm like it's like oh cool they yeah. have special powers right but then you yeah. hear about all these like 80s cartoons that were like the devil <laughs> it's like wait a minute i couldn't watch star wars but smurfs and you know <laughs> he man was okay I, yeah. I don't know like God gracious. Oh, man. But, yeah, there's, uh, there's give a yourself lot, some grace.
2: right? There's, oh, man. And we could go into so many things, right? Whether it was like purity culture and like, you know, I having do. purity rings and all that stuff. Or we can talk about, like, I remember, man, in in youth group um, being taught explicitly that like Led Zeppelin, ACDC are like demon music.
0: Well, and play like it if backwards. you play them
2: backwards, right? Yeah. And like they would, they would show us movies of concerts and then they would freeze it and they'd point out stuff and be like, see, it's this person over here doing an occult ritual. This person, I mean, like I was straight up indoctrinated
1: Yeah. into this stuff. Yeah. 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 It- <laughs> well, and I, I could talk about going to a, a, you know, and I don't begrudge my education at all. Again, I should put a little asterisk like, oh, this was just the worst thing ever. No, I, I, I had a great childhood. Like i compared compare to this weekend. I had a great childhood. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't complain about it at all, but when you're kind of growing up in like you're in the church and then like your school is this very private Southern Baptist, you know, influenced school, you're like, hmm, that's interesting. Mm. <laughs> that was very, yeah. Again, in our formative years, it's, it's going to shape us in, in yeah. our thinking. So, um, moving, moving in along a little bit, um, kind of moving to where we are now and, and kind of that formation, uh, just looking at our, our notes here, you know, you've got Trump and well, and yeah, ministry. the whole world changed,
2: right? Yeah. I mean, because, and that that's, you know, cause kind of for both of us, we carried a lot of that long into our adulthood. Right. Like, I mean, I, I was a still missionary. Carry. I
1: still have. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah.
2: Right. Like I was a missionary. I lived overseas. I worked for a church planting organization for five years. Like I carried a lot of that. And then like, The world was always different, but it was thrown in my face in a different way during the 2016 election campaign, Mm. right? Like there had already been plenty of things that I had like moved away from as far as some of the more extreme dogmas. Um, But I thought it was still like, oh, this is only fringe, right? Oh, it's only like the really fringe people that like want to ban Harry Potter from the face of the world, right? And then, like with the 2016 election campaign, realizing that all the things that I had dismissed as like it's not important because it's fringe turned out to be like, oh no, this I guess is center stage, and I have to reevaluate
1: so much now. Mm. Mm. How, how, and, how did that? How did that just? Watching that unfold on 2016, did did it? Were you aware of that when 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 things were happening during that election of kind of what it could or, or would be, or were you just like, <laughs> man, this is kind of a novelty?
2: I I was appalled the whole way through, and I mean that's yeah. just like I guess I'm not trying to hide anything. Like the the moment he came down those escalators and started dropping racial slurs, I thought every single person who professed faith in Jesus was just going to laugh him out of the room. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I was appalled when they didn't and then I I was appalled every time things seemed to get worse and worse and worse and worse and I thought surely now, surely now, surely now and his support among evangelicals only continued to rise and continued to rise even through his presidency when he continued to make choices that I feel like didn't reflect my values as someone who tries to take Jesus uh, seriously Yeah. so It was, you know, maybe speaking of like going for the dramatic, right? Like let's, let's frame it in maybe the most like triggering way possible. Like in some ways, like Trump led me to Jesus, but not because of anything he did, but because it stripped away all of the dross, everything that had clung to my understanding of Jesus that Mm. just came from church or culture wars or anything else. Right, like at that point by 2016, like full confession. Like I had a, like, you know, I grew up listening to K-Love. In two thousand eight, um, I was a mountaineering guide up in British Columbia and with a great group of people who were asking some really hard questions about life and faith. And they were asking questions like, Why can't Christians have premarital sex? Why aren't we supposed to swear these words didn't exist back then? What's the deal with Christian music? That's that's strange. So I had already kind of started to chip away at some of these kind of heavy things in my evangelical upbringing. And I'd already gotten over most of them, you know, by the time 2016 came around, I didn't have a problem dropping bombs here and there. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't listening to any kind of Christian music at that point because I was just like, it it just wasn't a thing for me, right? Even though maybe people listening to this would would be appalled and, you know, even just from those statements, question whether or not I'm a believer, um, which is fine. Um, so, so there had already been like some kind of quote unquote work there for me that was done earlier. Um, but seeing the way that the church just salivated over Donald Trump, um, really led me into Jesus because all of these, I had hooks and all these other things, right? I still had hooks and like evangelical missiology. I still had hooks and like. You know, you've got to go to church four days, a uh, you know, four times a month and you've got to be involved in a Bible study. I had these hooks and like, you know, the only way to like really share the news of Jesus is to literally proclaim the good news, which was a very specific set of words. Right. The way to become a Christian was this very specific action and particular set of words. And I would there was I still had hooks and all these things that kind of define this religious entity. And, and when Donald Trump came on the stage and in the following really five years, right, of his campaign and then his presidency, um, just chunk after chunk fell off that ship. And, you know, a lot of people might look at that and be like, well, that doesn't look like a ship that I would recognize anymore. That doesn't look like a ship that I would call Christian anymore. Um, but I look at it and I'm like, oh, now I can actually see Jesus. Like now I can actually see the shape and body of Jesus because all of that other stuff has been stripped away because every time something would happen, I was forced to say, are people agreeing with this because Jesus agrees with it? Or are people agreeing with this because the religion of evangelical Christianity agrees with Mm. it? And I was forced Right. You know, growing up, we heard pastors say all the time, go back to your Bibles, go back to your Bibles, look at it. Well, that works until you feel something different than they do about what scripture says. Right. And then then right. you're reading it wrong. Right. But like <laughs> all through the the Trump years, there were hundreds of opportunities to evaluate and reevaluate Are people responding this way because the person and life force of Jesus compels them to respond this way. Mm. Or are they responding this way because their religious indoctrination and dogma demands that they respond this way? Right. And with every turn that I turned into Jesus from those, I drew closer to Jesus and mm. a piece of that
1: religion got chipped off. So interesting. Uh, I'm glad you unpacked because you might have seen like the kind of question mark in my eyes of like, wait, what if you chip it away? But it's almost where it has to be in that element of extremes, right? Like really, there's no way, like, surely I like what you said. Surely at this point, people are going to realize like, wait, that doesn't, that doesn't quite line up. Well, at least not how it should, right. Or at Mm -hmm. least what we proclaim, but because there's maybe this overarching saviorism or whatever, like, you know, this, this is our guy. We're just going to go with it. Right. Mm -hmm. We're just going to go with it. And yeah, I mean, I've even heard outside of the church, you know, and, and again, fall where you fall where you may right, Um, in this. But like, you know, for, you know, it was so good for the economy, you know, and, you know, some head economic leaders of, of financial institutions, because um, that's the space that I work in is the finance industry is, you know, we we held our nose because it was good. It was good for our business mm. while these other things were happening. And it's like, wow, that's that's interesting to hear. Um, yeah. That there can even be that recognition on on other levels, right? Besides just inside of the, because we think inside the evangelical church, like somebody should be saying something, mm-hmm. and people did, mm-hmm. right? And, and then got and, kicked out, and they got kicked out. Yeah, you're not one of us anymore. Yep, because you're not lockstep. And I think that's it's it's an exploration of mine. Uh, I think you've done a lot more um, shadow work and. I want to spend some time talking about that, like just what shadow work is, because that sounds like the dark arts or something. I don't know. But this idea of what I've been unpacking recently of if I dare to ask questions like those questions that you said that people were bringing up when you were doing the, you know, river, whatever you were doing. (laughs) Be honest with you, I wasn't really paying attention when you're talking. You're about good. That. No one has to listen to me. <laughs> Who's listening to this right now? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. When you were ever up in Canada doing something mountaineering. Thank you, mountaineering. <laughs> um, I should lay off the whiskey. Um, <laughs> the idea that if I start to ask questions, is that then, and I come to a different answer than the answer that I've been arriving at all mm-hmm. these years, is that going to completely make everything that I've done up to this point illegitimate and Mm. a waste of time. And Mm. now I'm wrong. And what's the point. Hmm. And I think for me, that's one of the biggest things that like, if I ask questions and I stray away from that, what's the point I built so much on this.
2: Yeah. But, but what's the, that you're straying away from
1: my faith.
2: But when you ask those questions, are you straying away from faith?
1: I don't know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This is, this kind of goes back to me about the conversations about truth seeking versus dogma, right? Because when you ask the questions, what you're doing is you're trying to find the truth and you're going to say, I'm going to let the truth stand on its own two feet, no matter what the truth is. Dogma hates that. Mm -hmm. And so like, I mean, hopefully we'll have a lot more conversations about like, human sexuality and what the Bible has to say about that because there's so much dogma around it in the Christian church. But like, that's a great example, like premarital sex, right? Like, man, we were taught straight and clean abstinence. No question about it. You have one partner for life. Nothing happens until after the wedding bells ring, right? But in 2008, there was some simple questions like, well, what's the line? Like, okay, kissing's okay, Mm -hmm. but intercourse isn't. Okay, there's a lot that happens between kissing and intercourse. Where exactly is that line? And what's the chapter and verse that says what that line is? Mm-hmm. And how do you know? <laughs> and, and it was just really basic questions like that of like, okay, no, we actually are interested in, in truth here. Mm-hmm. We're interested in, and not just truth, but we're interested in honor. We're interested in integrity. We're interested in being the kind of people that would make Jesus smile and nudge his buddy and say, that looks like my guy, right? Mm-hmm. That looks like one of my people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I like one of my personal, cause I'm a farmer, right? One of the things that I say all the time is like, I want to be someone who people will look at and be like, yeah, the nut doesn't fall far from the tree. Like it's clear. You know what I mean? Like literally like I want to, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> I want people to be able to look and be like, Oh yeah, no, it's, it's clear. Like, he follows the the ways of Jesus, mm. but not in a dogmatic, like people actually would have to know me and see me and know my life because you're not going to see stickers on my car or mugs on my counter. You're not going to see Facebook posts about things. Like you're not going to, you're not going to see any of the trappings of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And if, honestly, if most of this podcast, you're not going to hear a lot about it necessarily. Right. It's going to be much more oblique or in ways that like, if you're in, you might question whether or not I'm in with you, right? Because mm-hmm. there's going to be things said and conversations talked about where you're like, wait, what? Like you can't, you surely, you can't believe that and also be a Christian.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. And, and again, I think premarital sex is a great example. Cause it's just one of those like cornerstones of what it means to be, you
1: know, a, a good Christian. Yeah. Um, and you can have, I, I'll i tell you what, you can have all the Christian upbringing and, learning and from day one, 24 seven. And that can all go by the wayside in a moment. I can sure. tell you that from. <laughs> it sure experience. Does. It sure <laughs> does, Right. But hey, then, that's but really then, great on paper. And then you're like, I never
2: thought I'd get th- it happened. It happened. It happens. And then, and then, and then what you're left with all this guilt, you're left with like, mm-hmm. am I good enough for anyone? Am I good enough to be married to anyone?
1: Can yep. I ever raise good Christian children? Because I did this. Right. Like, Because now like if I hold them to that standard, like there's no way I can hold my kids to that standard because, and then what I like, you're going to be a parent at age 16, right? Like in my mind just goes to the worst possible place ever. Right. Because you were Um,
2: taught to have your mind go to the worst possible place ever.
1: Yeah, that's true. And I, (laughs) and it does, the glass is half empty. The world's ending. The sky is falling. Um, yeah, golly, man, there's, there's so much there. Uh, to really unpack. I guess I'm, I'm looking at our thing. And it's like, if we're going to get through any of this, like we're <laughs> okay. So,
2: so then I guess to, to, to land the plane on that then. Yeah. Right. Like what, like what I'm curious to explore with you at some point, Chris, maybe we just have a whole episode where I'm just like badgering you with questions about it is like, first of all, what are you afraid of if you ask those questions and what mm-hmm. are you afraid of? What's the, that that you might lose? Because to me, those are really those were I I had to get through those two questions: What am I afraid I'm losing? And what is the that that's holding me back? Mm. That I, that I think it is right identifying what those are and identifying the fear around it, and then trying to anchor that into into some reality. Like I had to unlock those two doors before I could ask these questions in a meaningful way, mm-hmm. right? Even, even some of the things like in 2008, like, you know, swearing in 2008, and 2009, like that felt liberating, but almost in like a rebellious way. Right. right. Whereas yeah. like now it's like, well, no, it's just like there's certain contexts where words just make more sense than other words. And I'm just mm-hmm. going to use the word that makes sense um, because I've gotten over a lot of the dogma. Right. Yeah. And I can say that with confidence and freedom without any kind of complication, which can be really hard for some of our listeners right now. Like, yeah, they they might have already shut me off.
1: Well, that's that's I mean, I'll I'll be honest with you. Like, I have always in one form or another pushed against that. Like, same thing, you're not going to see stickers on my car. You're not going to hear me only blasting one radio station, you know, that's the local Christian, Christian station or whatever, like posts, like I really, I I don't do that because I'm like, really, I don't want to engage with you in that, in that space. Like where I want to engage in is these conversations. Like, like I'm going to live my life in such a way that you're going to say, Hey, maybe, Hey, he's, he's a good guy. Like, like, maybe there's something different about that guy. Like trying, like you said with integrity and honor and we can unpack what that means. I mean, that that could probably be a lot of things uh, to a lot of different people, but yeah, like I'm not going to overtly, just not. It's just it's it's not me, right? Yeah. And so to get caught up in in all of those trappings is, is one thing, but then to say, okay, now what do I do with that? Who am I? Am I am I really am I really this person? Like, mm-hmm. do I really believe what I believe? And kind of going back, like, if somebody put a gun to my head, God forbid. What am I going to say? <laughs> right, right, right. Because I didn't have the stickers on, and like nobody, and and, oh, and, and here's the thing, like, this is the curse of of an actor, you know, like that's many when I got into acting and have been acting for years. And it's a passion of mine. And, and to say, you know, and and in my early twenties and for most acting, I'm like, you know, if grandma and grandpa can't come to this show, then I don't want to do it. Right. So let's, so talk about doing a lot of musicals, Cabin. You want to (laughs) talk musicals? I've been in musicals. I love it. (laughs) Can't sing a lick, but I've been in musicals. Um, you know, and, and there's a community theater when you start your cut your chops in there. That's a lot of stuff that you can do. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, if there were, I was given some opportunities where there was some language. I'm like, no, I can't do that. Mm. I can't do that. You know, and it would just be an absolute betrayal mm. of how I was raised, mm. it would be a betrayal of my family and my heritage. Mm. And here's, I think if we want to get to the core of things, what would people think of me? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I care a lot, full transparency, about what people think of me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things, probably one of the answers. What am I afraid of losing? My my
2: counselors, my counselor, uh, who helped me through a lot of stuff in the last four years, he would, he was fond of saying you made a childhood promise to yourself. Uh, You're Mm. still trying to fulfill that promise. What was that promise you made? And I've I've had to go through and name some of them. But like, it sounds like one of those promises was like, I promised not to do something that grandma and grandpa couldn't watch. hundred percent. Yeah. And so then like, now you just bound yourself around a promise. Now, then what my counselor would say is like, is that promise still helpful in your life? is it still helping you be the person you want to be or are you still just trying to honor a promise you made at a much earlier point in life that's no longer actually useful for your life so much freedom so much counseling
1: <laughs> a lot of therapy a good lot i'm of glad therapy. this i'm glad this podcast will now just be therapy sessions between the two of us and if anybody wants to listen to it that's fine
0: and that's our show
2: if this conversation was meaningful to you like it was to us Leave a rating and review so that more people just like us can discover this podcast and
1: join the conversation themselves. Thank you for listening. We're so glad you're here and we'd love for you to join the conversation too. But hey, you've heard enough of our voices.
0: For show notes or to connect with this community of seekers, visit us online at ofdustanddivinity.com. Partner with us on Patreon and get access to exclusive content, merch, and hidden perks go to patreon.com slash of dust and divinity join our facebook group of dust and divinity podcast community and engage with us on instagram at OfDust underscore and divinity as you go through your day remember these words of rainer maria rilke be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves do not seek the answers which cannot be given to you, for you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now.